Okay, then let's worship together. First, second, and fourth, and fifth verses. Oh, worship the before you today, we come before you as a people who are sometimes lost, sometimes confused, sometimes joyful, sometimes happy, sometimes sorrowful and sad. We come from a variety of different directions. And like the weather in Tennessee, sometimes that changes with quite unbelievable rapidity. And we ask, Lord, more than anything else, that as we have gathered together this day, that we would be filled with your spirit. We would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been in your presence and you have been indwelling in us. May your Holy Spirit fall upon us in such a way that we go out into the world and tell the world about you. And we ask it in your name and the people say, Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to look on the screen for the Apostles' Creed, or it's in United Methodist Hymnal, page 881. It begins, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ.
just happened last week. And they all were filled with what? The Holy Spirit, right. And so this week we learned about what they did with it. So they powered up with the Holy Spirit. Then we learned this new word. They shored up. What's that mean? built each other up. So they fellowshiped together and they encouraged one another and they shared their early teachings with each other, right? And that's how they, they got better. And then after they were all encouraged up and filled with the Spirit, they did what? For the truth, right. And then when they were brave enough to stand up, they spoke up about who? Um, the gospel of Jesus. Good, because we needed people to know about the gospel of Jesus so our church could grow bigger, right? And the best way to share that was with the truth of his life, death, and resurrection. Good job. Well, they did okay, didn't they? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the freedom that we have to come and worship in your church. And we pray that these children will go out into the world and share your great commission. Father, please bless this church with many more children who will come and know and, and love Jesus and help these children to know him and share him more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear God, we ask that you will come into this building today and let your hand be upon us. We ask that you will open our hearts and open our ears to hear the message that you have prepared for us. In your name we pray, amen. amen. O oh God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. God has blessed us. Let all the ends of the earth hear God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Here are the prayers of the people this day, and there may be others that you know that we can add. We lift up Ashley Pugh, Bill, and Helen Mitchell, who are with us today, and we're thrilled to have them with us. Yes. <laughs> also lift up Janice Vaughn, uh, Mandy Newman and Wayne and Jackie Lott, and also the people of Ukraine, uh, Dr. Orman, uh, Mr. Ed Mosley, uh, Morris, excuse me, and lost and lonely people. And that is one of the things that we sometimes don't stop and pray for. There are a lot of people who are hurting, a lot of people who are in situations that are devastating to them personally, financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and all kinds of different situations. So let's always make sure that we lift up those who are lost and hurting. For Thanksgiving, we have the birth of Dawson Murray, 10 pounds, 22 ounces. And he made his arrival here with us and is doing well, as is his mom and dad and all the extended family. And I think my wife actually wrote this. Um, I finished my seminary degree. Uh, that was finished as of yesterday. So I no longer have to hide in the office for five hours every night typing papers. And my wife is extremely elated by that fact. Are there any others that you would add at this time? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you sometimes from a hurting place, sometimes from a place in life that life is not fun. 
place in life where it seems like nothing is going right. It seems like no matter how hard we try, the harder we pray, the worse things get, and we wonder why. We ask ourselves, why has God deserted me? We ask ourselves, why do we find ourselves in a situation not even of our own making where we seem to be assailed on every hand? And we know in the midst of this, something that is true, something that is sweet, and something that is fitting for the family of God. God is a covenant-keeping God. And God has said, I will be with you, I will walk with you. If need be, I will carry you, even to the ends of the earth. And that's the claim that we stand upon. That's the claim that we hold on to. That's the claim that we trust beyond anything else, that God will keep his promises. And so we ask, Lord, this day that your grace would fall down like rain down a mountainside, that we would be covered, immersed, flooded over, filled up, overflowing with the grace of God, that his grace and his love and his mercy would fall upon us in such a way that we could not help but testify Tell the world what Christ has done for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with us every day of our lives. We give you thanks for new life. We give you thanks for visitors. We give you thanks for those who are able to be back with us after physical affliction. We ask for those who are dealing with physical needs right now that you would comfort them, that you would give them not only strength and faith and grace and love, but you would give them courage to be an example to the world of how Christians can face adversity. And now, Lord, we ask that you would join with us as you listen to us pray together, the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. What our ushers come forward at this time. Lord, in the midst of loss, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, there is one thing that is constant and true, and that is the love of God. There is nothing we could do to earn it, nothing we could do to deserve it, nothing we could do to buy it, but it is freely given by God himself. And so we ask, Lord, that we would now freely give back to you part of that which we have been given stewardship of, that it might be used in this place and the community and the greater world around us to glorify your name. And the people say, Amen. Amen.
Say one time, if that doesn't wind up your clock, your spring is broken. <laughs> wonderful job, wonderful job. And so now I have the task of telling you about that Jesus. So we're going to be in 1 John 4, verse 7 through 21 this morning. Uh, the last four weeks, with one week off, we've been talking about God questions. Questions that we ask ourselves when we're in pain, where is God? When we're hurting, where did God go to? Where is God in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations on every hand? Where is God when we need him the most and it seems like he's not there? And we ask ourselves, does God take a lunch break? Did God take a coffee break? Is he gone somewhere and forgot to listen to us? And we know that's not true. But today we're going to talk about what is God's love like? We know that God is love, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the question I want to address this morning is what is it like? What's he type of love that God has for us. And 1 John 4, starting in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. That is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God loves in us, lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God is them. This is how love is made complete among us that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hateth a brother or sister is a liar. I want you to hear that one more time. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is just pretty blunt. It's a a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he gives us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. An eight-year-old was once asked the difference. What is the difference between love and true love? Well, as adults, we'd come up with all kinds of explanations. But this little eight-year-old little girl was asked the difference between love and true love. And she said, "Well, well, that's easy. Love is when my dad reads me a story at bedtime. That was pretty good. And they told her that was a great explanation. They said, but what is true love? And true love says, it's when my daddy tells me a story and doesn't skip any of the pages. I know we've all been guilty of that, right? Today, we're going to look at the subject of God's kind of love. The kind of love that God has for me and for you and for us. God's love is sacrificial. God's love is saving. This will be on the test, by the way. God's love is secure. And God's love is sanctifying. There's four ways that I want you to look at God's love this morning quickly. Sacrificial, saving, secure, and sanctifying. God's love is sacrificial. What do we mean by God's love being sacrificial? It means God doesn't hold anything back. God pours himself into a relationship. God pours himself into that love relationship that he has with me and with you. And also, God's love totally completely, impossibly undeserving of. We don't deserve God's love. We can't buy God's love. We can't go down to the store and purchase a gallon of God's love when we run short. We do not deserve God's love, but God loves us sacrificially. Verse 10, 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. So just exactly how sacrificial is God's love? Remember this, his son for our sin. His son for our sin. That explains God's sacrificial love. He gave his son for our sin. God holds absolutely nothing back. 
God sent his one and only son, God of, and God's love is totally undeserved. It's never about us loving God first and then God saying, oh, well, they're in love with me. I'm going to love them back. It's God pouring out this gracious, unbelievably inexhaustible supply of love and grace and love and mercy. And we wonder, what did we do to deserve it? And the answer is, nada, nothing, not a thing. God's sacrificial love is about God loving us first. God's sacrificial love also extends to him giving us his spirit. He gives a son to the world, to believers and non-believers alike. He gives the spirit to the church. And without the spirit, we cannot be born again. And we can't truly know God. So God's love is sacrificial. Second, God's love is salvaic, which is just a fancy way of saying it's a saving kind of love. Verses 14 and 15. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. We need to understand in the world we live in that God's love is a saving love. What does it save us from? The pain, the agony of sin, broken relationships, the list goes on and on. God's love is a saving love. John 3.16, and this is Peterson's message transliteration of the scriptures. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and his only son, and this is why, so that no one need to be destroyed by believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God's kind of love saves us from our sins. It's an atoning sacrifice, paying the price for. Atoning is just one of those big words that I think, why do we, why did we use four syllables when, or three syllables when we could use a really small word? Atoning just means in place of. God died in place of us. Jesus Christ satisfies the demands of the wrath of God. What do the scriptures say? The wages of sin are a speeding ticket and 30 days in jail. No, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't give any either or. You don't get to choose behind door one, two, or three. The wages of sin are death. And the atoning sacrifice of the son of Jesus, called Jesus the Christ, the son of God, satisfies and becomes an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And it satisfies the wrath of God, and it also saves us from fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God saves us from the inside out. God is in us and through us and with us. Jesus is on the inside working on the outside. Ella said, let me tell you about my Jesus. Well, that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and fills us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he is working on the inside. And as he works on the inside, he changes us from the inside out to where we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to tell people about what we found. We want to tell people about why we're happy, the reason for the joy that is within us. Jesus on the inside working on our outside. Thirdly, quickly, God's kind of love is secure. We don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to last. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. In other words, if we truly are filled with the love of God, we're not going to fear anything. This world can kill us, but our soul will be eternal. And so we don't have to worry about what's going to happen in eternity with us. So question, will God ever stop loving me? You know, there's an old country song uh, called He Stopped Loving Her Today. You probably all know it. I won't, won't sing it for you. But it's one of those songs that you listen to and you think the catch line goes, he stopped loving her today. He'd come to the end of his life is what the song tells us. We don't have to worry about that with God. God is not going to stop loving us today or tomorrow or yesterday or an eternity from now. God is never going to stop loving us. God will always love us. Why? How do I know that? Because God is love. And for God to stop loving me would mean God to stop being who he is. God is love. That explains who God is. God is love. And because of that, he can no longer stop loving me. Then I can stop being, breathing and still be alive. God is love. And because God is love, 
He will always love us. That's his nature. That's who he is. Another question is, can we rely on the love of God? Can we trust the love of God? How, how do we know that we rely on the love of God? Well, faith means that we have believed those things that are not yet seen. So we rely on God's love. That's through faith. We know we can rely on the God that loves us through experience. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Or trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's a saying, I don't know who wrote it, and I wish I did because I would love to give them credit. And it goes like this, when I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. Let that one resonate with you just a minute. When I cannot trace his hand. In other words, I can't read and see what God is doing. You ever had times like that? You're a believer. You love God. You know that God loves you. But sometimes you just go through a period of life that you're looking around going, God, what, what are you doing here? I, I can't follow where you're carrying me. When you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. Because God is love. God is always going to do what is best for you and for us. And then there's a the question, what about on the day of judgment? We will have confidence on the day of judgment because God's kind of love has done the necessary work in our lives. And what is that work? To create in us someone who looks like Jesus Christ. So should I have a fear of being punished by God? You know, some of us have this picture of God. He's, he's an old guy with a long white beard. He's got white hair. He's got a white robe on. He's sitting on a white throne surrounded by white and he's bent down like this, and he's waiting, just, just waiting for Keith, that's me, to do something wrong so he can thump me in the back of the head. That's not God. But we sometimes have that picture of God, that God is just waiting to just thump us in the back of the head. That's not God. God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God is love. Now, does he also hold us accountable? Yes, but that's a sermon for another time. Let me assure you that God, when we follow after him, will always love us and will always be in love with us. And so there's no fear in love because perfect love, which is God, drives out fear. God's kind of love is sanctifying. What in the world? Sanctifying, to be set apart, to be sanctified, means to be set apart to a particular place or a particular place of service. In my case, I've been set apart to the office of pastoral ministry. That's my, I am sanctified, set apart to that. Some of you have been set apart to a prayer ministry. Some of you have been set apart to working in the secular workplace so you can witness to people about God. But God's kind of love is sanctifying, verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hate his brother, he is a liar. That's what I wanted to dwell on for just a minute. One of the things that is wrong with this world, and Lord knows, much better than I do. There's many things wrong with this world. But one of the things that I, that I, I won't say I use the word hate to see, I really do not like seeing is people who have the opinion of others who aren't like them, that they hate them, they don't like them, they don't want to be around them. We have to understand something. God loves us. God loves us in spite of ourselves. If anyone says, I love God, yet hate my brother, God's love is not in him. He's a liar. And that's pretty harsh words. But remember, I'm just a messenger. I'm just relaying to you what the message, I'm reading the message to you. Anyone who says that he loves God but hates his brother, he's a liar. Or she's a liar. They're a liar. We have to understand for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And he gives us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Sanctifying, changing us, God's love changes us, makes us into something more and different and better, more like Jesus Christ. You cannot say you love God unless you can testify to a change in your attitudes towards people you used to hate. The proof that I love God is because I also love other people. How many times have you been in a situation and there was someone in the room, maybe it was at a job, maybe you're at a dinner, maybe you're out with friends, and there's always that, that one guy 
or one girl maybe. I'm a guy, so I don't notice that as much, but there's always that one guy. If I've traveled 1,000 miles, they've traveled 10,000 miles. If I bought a $30,000 used car, they just bought a $80,000 used car. If I had done this kind of job or that kind of job or worked for that university or that college, they'd been the whatever. They'd been the head of the department. It was one upmanship until you finally just get to the point you're just going to go, go away. I don't want to hear you anymore. I, I just don't like being around you. We have to understand that we are changed by God's love. We love because he first loved us. How do I find out how much God loves me? By looking at the cross. It's pretty simple. You want to know how much God loves you? Look at the cross. When you look at the cross, you understand how much God loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his only begotten son. The cross was a demonstration of God's love for his enemies. So how much more does God love us? He loves us even more than the cross. How can I find out how much God loves me? By looking at his word. None of us have ever seen God. And I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it with you one more time. Little girl. I guess it's because I have daughters and granddaughters. I always use a little girl illustration. Okay, it was a little boy this time. A little boy is in kindergarten class, and he's drawing. And he is drawing. The whole class is supposed to draw a picture. He's drawing, throwing that color down, grabbing another color, drawing, grabbing that another color, drawing, drawing. I mean, he's going like a, a banshee, like a cat with his tail on fire, as we say in the South. And the teacher kind of notices he's just really working hard. She comes up and goes, Johnny, what are you doing? Little Johnny says, I I'm drawing a picture, teacher, like you told us to. The teacher goes, well, you seem to be really intense over here. What are you drawing a picture of? The little boy goes, I'm drawing a picture of God, teacher. And the teacher goes, Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. And Johnny goes, give me a few minutes. When I finish, I'll know. <laughs> you know, we don't know what God looks like. We don't have an idea what he looks like. God is spirit. But think about this. What if the people you ran into with that you could not deal with, the kind of people that you didn't want to be in the room with, didn't want to sit at the table with, what if you looked at them and saw the face of Jesus? I want you to hang on just a minute and let that sink in. Let it kind of ferment for just a moment. What if you looked at the people you did not like and instead of seeing their face, you saw the face of Jesus? How many relationships would be restored how many marriages would be saved? How many situations would be resolved if when I looked at my wife or you look at your husband or child, what you see is the face of Jesus Christ? It'd be really hard to say, I hate you, when you were imagining that was Jesus sitting there talking to you, wouldn't it? But that's what God tells us to do, to love one another. We love one another because Christ and God first loved us through Jesus Christ. There are a couple of things that we have to do. We have to acknowledge our need for God's kind of love. God won't force it on you. God will not hold you down and force his love in you and on you and through you. It doesn't work that way. That's not who God is. We, knowledge, we acknowledge our need for God's kind of love. We believe that God wants to give us his kind of love. God is sitting here ready. He's not up there somewhere. He's right here. God, through his spirit, is sitting here going, I, I want to share my love with you. I want to give you my love. I, I don't want to force it on you. I want you to want it. And the more you want it, the more I'm going to give you. The more you want, the more I'm capable of giving you. Thirdly, we need to commit to showing God's kind of love to other people. It's easy to share God's love with people we like. It's easy to share, tell my wife that I love her in Jesus Christ because I know what she's done for me through the years, just as you know in your own lives, with your own spouses or family members. But sometimes we have to remember that God loves us so much that we not only have to acknowledge it and believe it, we have to commit to showing God's love to the people around us. Let me close with a story. Have you ever known one of those guys that's a car collector kind of guy? And he doesn't want to collect the kind that's already built and ready to go. 
I have a nephew that way. We have a church member that way who's members of a car club. And you see a car. I saw this happen in real life last week. But you see a car, and it's growing up in the middle of a pasture. It's got a tree right through the middle of the back seat. The bumper's got grass growing up through it. The vines are intertwined, so you can't even tell what kind of car it is. And you're going, boy, what a heap of rust. That's a rust bucket. And the guy with you who's the car guy, he's going, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Do you know what that is? That's a 19 blah, 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 Studebaker Avanti or whatever it might be. And he's just going crazy. Because why? Because he can envision what that car can be. He's not seeing what it is. He's not seeing a bucket of rust. He's not seeing doors that are falling off. He's not seeing rubber tires that have rotted down to the ground. He's imagining what that car is going to look like with those gangster sidewalls on it, you know, the big white sidewalls. And he looks at the upholstery, and there's not any. It's just springs sticking out, hairy-carry randomness. And he looks at it, and he imagines what it's going to look like when it's perfectly stitched up and piped upholstery. And they giggle like little children when they find a wreck. And I'm looking at them going, what? Do you know how much it's going to cost to restore this car? And they just keep giggling because they're so ecstatic that they have found something that they can pour time and money and countless hours. And they smile because even though they know it's going to cost a ton of money, they're going to bring it back to life. And they'll do it, regardless of what it takes or how much it costs. And we don't really understand them. But then at last, when that person who's a car nut finishes restoring that automobile and he drives it out of the garage for the first time and you're standing in the parking lot ready to look and he opens the door and it pulls out and it's perfectly restored and you can see yourself comb your hair in the chrome. The paint is magnificent. We finally understand. Why? Because we finally are able to see what they had already seen. Everybody is delighted at the sight of a perfectly restored car. Janice and I would be driving down the road, and she'll go, look. And that's what I do. I almost fall out of the car. I spin around so fast to make sure I see it because I love cars. That guy that loves to restore cars, when he looks at that wreck sitting in the middle of a field with a tree growing up in the middle of the car, what he sees is what you just saw driving out of the garage. He sees the end result. He sees what it can be. Wherever that car parks, it gathers a crowd. Well, God is kind of like a car guy. And hang with me. I'll carry you there, I hope. God sees each person, no matter how broken, no matter how morally decayed, no matter how beat up, they are as valuable, important, and worth saving. He remembers what they were meant to be. He remembers when they were knit together in their mother's womb. He remembers his original design for you and for you and for you and for you. He remembers what he designed you to be and me to be and us to be. And he works and loves and toils until he restores us to that design. So... Why in the world? What does that story have to do with God's love? I want you to come back to the garage. And you're thinking, well, what? what? There's not a garage here. Yeah, it is. You're in it. You see, what we are as a church is the body of Christ. What this building is, is basically a garage. We're all in this together. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're justified freely by his grace that came through the redemption of Jesus Christ. So what do you see when you walk into the Lord's shop? Well, if you look at me, you see I've still got some rust. My bumpers are falling off. The chrome's not very shiny. It's kind of tarnished. <clears throat> the tires need replacing. But God's going to take care of that. When you look around in this garage, are you going to see some cars that are in disrepair? Sure, you are. But you're going to see even more. When you look a little deeper, you'll see this you'll see broken cars that are being restored. You'll see broken lives that are being healed. You'll see broken hearts that are being mended. You've got to learn to see people whose lives are in various states of repair the way that God sees you with an overwhelming, unbelievable, unsearchable 
unbuyable, invaluable love. Because it's who God is. God loves you. God says, come on back to the garage. Man, we are going to have a big time putting this life back together. Would you pray with me? Lord, how many times have I been like that car out in the field with the trees growing up through me? I didn't want to be, but I found myself there anyway. I didn't want to be in the, the junk heap of life, but I made a wrong turn. I didn't stop when I should have. I didn't speed up and drive past when I should have. And so I found myself in a graveyard of rusted, dead and dying cars, lives, people who needed more than anything else to know that God loved them, needed more than anything else to be filled with that love. God, I wouldn't trade my life with all of its bumps and bruises for anything in the world because there were people in my life that had been in my life for so many years, and I've watched them grow up. I've watched them be filled with God's love. I've watched them turn into wonderful men and women, and that is a privilege that I, I would never surrender. So thank you, Lord, for those times that you loved me when I was unlovable. Thank you for those times that you cared for me when I didn't care for myself. Thank you for those people you sent into my life to love me and watch over me and care for me and lift me up and sometimes just apply some polish and help me shine myself up so I look more like what I meant, was meant to be. Be with us, Lord, this day. Watch over us and keep us. We ask it in your name and for our sake. And the people of God together say, Amen. Amen. Many years ago, in another day, in another time, in another lifetime, far, far away, in a galaxy far, far away, I was a youth minister. I used to tell my students, my kids, I still consider them my kids, that you can't bring people to Christ by taking the Bible and hitting them in the back of the head. You can't beat them into submission and expect them to understand the love of God. They're going to know we're Christians by our love. And if they don't know that love and see it in us, they're not going to want to be any part of what we have. I challenge you, go out into the world. Fall in love with a world that needs you. Fall in love with a world that needs what you have to say.
and what you know and can share with it. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to you, we ask more than anything else that we would be filled with your love. Sometimes I have to preach sermons that I don't like. I don't want to preach them. I have to preach about sin and conflict and conviction. And those are sermons that aren't fun to preach, but they're sermons that God has given me. So how can we understand the love, the overriding, abounding, indefensible, inexhaustible love of God if we don't understand about sin and conviction? Help us to realize they are parts of the same, two sides of the same coin. One exists for the other, and one exists in spite of the other. So be with us, Lord. Help us to go out into the world. Help us to tell the world about it, Christ who died for us as a sacrifice, a God who loves us beyond measure and the work of our Holy Spirit that fills us. Thank you for allowing us, letting us tell you about Jesus this morning. We ask, Lord, these things in your name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray and the people together say, Amen. Amen.